and how the vice chancellor has put uh, walls all over, which is against the idea of Tagore, right? Yes, yeah, so we'll talk about Tagore. And uh, also, uh, that's the same thing that's happened to my university, Pune University, which was once upon a time the governor's house in uh, British India, right? And uh, it's very important as Victorian architecture. In fact, there was a person who wrote a very interesting piece on the university. Okay, and then later when I was doing my MA, I showed her the dog graveyard that the vice, uh, it was not, it was supposed to be the viceroy's building, but it slowly uh, became Pune University after the British went and the government uh, handed it over. Uh, uh, first of all, it became the governor's house because the British thought that the Peshwas ruled majority of India, so they wanted uh, uh, Bombay to be the seat okay, of uh, the British Empire, right? And uh, then they constructed this lovely palace, which is the main building of Pune University, right? So if, if you go to Pune University, go and see the main building, right? Because that's the governor's hall, right? the, the governor's palace, right? And uh, you have the idea of Victorian architecture, right? So you have the Victorian is characterized by the half natural, half artificial, right? So you'll see that very, very starkly there, right? And uh, if you look at it from Hegelian terms, it's just that you have all the geometric structures which you get from the neoclassical French kind of uh, uh, understanding of the world, right? Where all the geometric shapes are in perfect precision and you have the same with the lawns of Pune University, right? And of course, what was interesting as a student in Pune University was uh, we used to harass our teachers and some of them were very, very sweet, right? And uh, we used to ask them to have classes in, uh, in a garden which is called Alice Park and we sat around the grave of Alice who was, uh, yeah, the grave is still there, who was a governor, a governor's daughter, right? And of course, the dog graves are a little further on, right? I don't know whether they are there. Now, all that belongs to the forest department, right? And uh, you also have uh, a natural swimming pool, right? And that's where the half natural, half artificial still going on, right? Yeah. So it's all uh, hewed out of a rock, right? And uh, you have uh, the chute and all those things which are no more there, but they have this idea of a pump and a chute and all those kind of things worked, right? So uh, all those things are interesting and of course uh, when we are talking about the half natural and half artificial and one of the governors, uh, one of the yeah, governors uh, actually brought uh, the Australian bush which is still there in Pune University, right? Yeah. So you have the Australian bush which gives you this element of the romantic wildness, right? So when we are talking about the architecture, the idea of the Victorian cannot be ruled out, right? because the Victorian is half natural, half artificial, right? So whenever you read Victorian literature, you'll still get this idea of the half natural and the half artificial. You see that in the architecture, you see that in the garden and the landscaping, yeah? And you also find that with the idea of uh, poetry and drama. Uh, drama, of course, uh, is recovering, right? We don't have much drama. Uh, except for people like Shaw, right? And uh, the idea of modern drama comes out of the Victorian age, right? But uh, the idea of drama actually 
So actually, Shaw is really a modernist, right? Yeah, and uh, he uh, very consciously chooses that kind of position, right? But all products of the Victorian age, right? Yeah, and uh, so one at one level, when we look at the architecture, when we look at poetry, when we look at fiction, right? When we look at the idea of uh, governance, right? When we look at music, right? All those things become important, right? And of course. I'll talk about the downside also. Uh, it's the best of times and the worst of times, right? Yeah, the best of times because uh, the imperial status of England, which began with Queen Elizabeth the first, right? Yeah, and the sinking of the Spanish Armada actually now takes a big kind of a push forward, right? The idea, of course, is also when you have the idea of the penny post which is uh, the post office, right? And the postal stamp, which become such a very important uh, thing right to today. Of course, today, the posts uh, are getting into trouble because they are getting exterminated, right? And uh, of course, in Pune, you have a 100-year-old GPO, right? So you might like to uh, look at it, right? And you have the zero landmark over there, Right, which is placing it where it is, right? Yeah, so it's not only in Pune, but if you go to uh, uh, the, the, uh, the Allied Study Center, right? Yeah, which was the, uh, the governor's summer, the viceroy's summer palace, right? Yeah, uh, it was called Rashtrapati Nivas, right? Yeah, so uh, that was uh, the viceroy's summer palace, right? And uh, that's something interesting because that's probably one of the first places uh, in India which get electricity, right? Uh, and uh, so you, uh, whenever you go to Simla, you can't uh, miss that because that's where uh, the seat of learning is, right? Uh, higher learning and achievement is, right? But you still get this half natural and half artificial. Right, so uh, that's one part of it. Right, uh, the other part of it is, it's uh, we had when the literary society was still active, we had a Victorian festival. Right, yeah. So we had uh, every age-wise uh, uh, festival that we had a romantic period festival and we had a Victorian festival, and we called different people from different departments to talk about it. Right, we called Professor Ranjan Sen Gupta to talk about Victorian uh, technology in the Victorian age, right? Yeah, and uh, the Victorian age is tremendous for the kind of technology that happens, right? Beside the railway train, uh, today when we look at technology from the point of view of Foucault, right? Everything becomes technology, right? Yeah, including our educational system and uh, uh, the, uh, the parliamentary system and all those kind of things, right? Yeah. Now, when we're talking about the Victorian age, uh, first and foremost, uh, the engine, the post, the postal system, right, which is still very good in India, right, and India has probably got one, inherited one of the best kind of postal systems that exist, right, yeah, and uh, in fact, my grandmother wrote to the American government when her letter was lost, and she said, well, in India, a letter was never lost, right, <laughs> I feel like laughing at that. Okay, she said it was a good old colonial system, and even when we got independence, 
the letters were never lost, right? You could put a letter anywhere in a post box and you'd be quite sure that they would be delivered, right? Yeah, so, uh, and of course, uh, still the postal system, of course, now it's taking a, a beating and everything is being shut down with privatization, right? So I, I don't want to go there at all, right? But the post offices, uh, and the interesting part is uh, every uh, uh, building that was constructed, right, in England and in the colonies also, right, uh, were uh, important in themselves. And that's not because of Queen Victoria, but that's probably because of her consort, that is Prince Albert, right? So you have the Albert and Edward Museum, right, and you have all these big structures, even if you go to Britain, and you have uh, this, uh, the Tower Bridge, right, which was, okay, that's uh, what it's called today, right, so that's London Bridge today, it's not the old London Bridge that you had from medieval times, that's been taken and kept as a, a kind of a relic in California, right, yeah, but the, the modern bridge is all Victorian, right, and one of my disappointments was, well, everything is at most Victorian, right, uh, where I actually saw the city of London, and I said, well, there's too much of Victorian stuff around, right? Uh, yeah, and my cousin said, what, well, what do you want? I mean, what, what more do you want, right? I said, I thought we'd get really old stuff, right? Um, that, anyhow, that's a, a desire that we get, right? And one of the things is, uh, a lot of us are brought up, brought up on the Romantics and the Victorians, right? Uh, so, uh, one of the important things that we're talking about when we're talking about the Victorian ages, we're talking about poetry, right? We're talking about drama, of course. Uh, how much of drama? Yeah, Hardy writes some drama, and one or two people write Victorian dramas, right? But we don't really have a uh, great uh, Victorian dramatist, right? Yeah, because in the Romantic age, drama suffers very badly, right? And even in the Victorian age, I don't think it picks up, right? Yeah. And of course, we have people, uh, uh, so you have the age of Hardy, right? You have the Victorian age and you have Tennyson, you have Hardy. Uh, then you have the Oxford movement, right? Which is also a very important movement where these people, uh, or it's called the Counter-Reformation, where people under uh, uh, Cardinal Newman, right? Convert from uh, pro Protestantism, right? To Christianity. Right? So that's a huge kind of a, a shift, right? Because the counter-revolution or the counter-reformation, uh, counter right? Which is after so many years, right? 700 years, right? Yeah, is something that's important because it actually gives uh, a lot of the, uh, the changes that happen are very radical changes which Martin Luther and the early Protestants didn't even imagine, right? Yeah, so all that comes in and of course that makes uh, England also very conservative because they go back to the Latin right mass and uh, they're still very fond of singing in Latin etc. Right? Yeah, so that's something else that we might like to look at because we're talking about uh, one of the things that happened in India when we talk about the Great Gupta period, right? that's the period that India becomes conservative. Right? That's when you have uh, uh, Jars are saying that well uh, the idea of the Mahabharata actually begins over there when somebody says, uh, when Durga asks, uh, when did I become your property, right? Yeah, so we're going back over there and we're talking about the idea of women and property and when we talk about the, uh, the Victorian age, 
women suffer very badly in the Victorian age, right? Yeah, though you have a, a woman who is the queen, right? Yeah, and the woman who is the monarch, right? Uh, it becomes a very, very conservative age, right? We have a very important critic called Matthew Arnold, who's also uh, an inspector of schools, and he, he becomes a very high-profile man, right? Yeah, and of course, uh, one of the things that happen is when we're talking about education, since I talked about Matthew Arnold, right? Uh, one of the things that happens over there is uh, they have this law banning child labor, right? And that becomes a very important kind of a, a revolution in itself, right? Because uh, if you read a critic like, uh, uh, what's her name? Reynolds, what, what is it? Kimberly Reynolds, right? Yeah. If you read, read a person like uh, Kimberly Reynolds on children's literature, right? She would actually tell you that what happened when they banned child labor was uh, a kind of a, a demographic shift at one level, maybe, right? And it also alters a kind of family structure, right? Because uh, every child before that was thought to be a provider of the family, right? So the minute you could work, uh, you had to provide for the family and you had to get your little money and give it to the family, right? So whatever job you did, right, uh, which is very well represented by Dickens in Oliver Twist, right, and in David Copperfield also, right? Yeah, so the idea of children and uh, the representation of children and what happens to children uh, at that point of time is very important because the idea of the child uh, which is constructed by the romantics as we know, right, Wordsworth and Coolidge and all those people, right, so you have uh, this idea of uh, this theorizing of childhood which goes very much further into the Victorian age, right, and the Victorian age becomes important because uh, uh, you have this idea of people going to school and schooling becoming compulsory, right, and uh, they have a real kind of problem because the working class people, they didn't send their children to school, right? The minute you could work, uh, you could earn, you went and worked, right? It's, and uh, you have the upper middle class who uh, send their children to a private uh, uh, tutor, right? And you'd go and stay in the house, and maybe if you are really interested in uh, learning about that, and you must read this wonderful book called uh, Mill and the Floss by George Eliot, who's another Victorian writer, right? Who is, of course, a, a very, very, very bold woman who goes and lives in, uh, yeah, and uh, takes a pseudonym called George Eliot, but she's Mary Ann Evans, right? Yeah, so uh, all those kind of things. Uh, and, uh, yeah, uh, Saloni, I think, yesterday talked about the autobiographical, right? And the idea of Jane Eyre, which I don't know, very, uh, Jane Austen, which I don't know very much about, right? But when you look at uh, Mary Ann Evans, or uh, uh, George Eliot, right? Bill uh, and the Floss is supposed to be an autobiographical novel, autobiographical novel, right? So, uh, yeah, so uh, I'm sorry, I'm shifting between literature and politics and all sorts of things, but anyhow, we'll give you a history of the age anyway, right? Uh, yeah, so uh, we're talking about women, women's lives, women change, right? that's what the novel also tells us, that's what uh, uh, Mary Ann Evans' novels tell, uh, tells us, because you have 
middle class women going to work, right? Yeah, and you also have a not uh, uh, not um, absolutely uh, over there, but you have the idea of the women's rights movements coming up, right? And you also have uh, this man. Um, yeah. So you have a lot of very forward kind of movements coming up over there, and the idea of uh, uh, the women's rights movement. All these things are still brewing down, right? Yeah, in the Victorian age, right? And of course, women have to cover themselves from head to toe, right? And uh, yeah, the idea of even a little bit of flesh being seen is not a good idea, right? And that's of course something that perhaps we as Indians have inherited also, right? Yeah, so, uh, yeah, right. So that's that's one important thing, right? And uh, we also have the best times uh, is uh, for the idea of the military, right? So the military gets systematized because they've got a huge colonial army, right? And uh, the idea of the military and ranks in the military and all those things that are hardly very much present before that become an important kind of uh, landmark in the history of the British Empire, right? Yeah, and of course many of them come to India, right? And if you go to uh, Stoke Poges, that's where uh, Gray writes his elegy, right? And you go to the, ch uh, the chapel over there in uh, the graveyard, yeah, you'll see a lot of people who have donated their memorabilia from uh, their exploits in India over there, right? Yeah, so you'll have a lot of badges and uh, different colonels and judges and all those kind of people are around, right? So uh, that's one of the things that is important uh, to note, right? That uh, you have a lot of them. And in fact, when I went to Canterbury, uh, I met at least two people and uh, one of them had a long chat with me when I was walking from the station down to see uh, uh, the cathedral, the Canterbury Cathedral, or the, the place where uh, you have your choices uh, Canterbury Tales because of Thomas and Beckett's uh, uh, murder. Yeah, so that's why I went to see it, right? And uh, yeah, there was a, a man and he was chatting about uh, a lot of things. And I said, well, you're the first person I met in Britain who knows his history, right? Yeah, because you talk about historical Britain, right? And then he said something which was very interesting. He said, you know, I know all this because I was in India and I was in Dumdum, right? And he was a big shot in the army, right? Yeah, so that's uh, one of the things that you might like to think about, right? And of course, we're very, very influenced. Our military is very, very influenced by the uh, Victorian age, right? Uh, the dances, uh, the drinks, uh, the whole structure of the military establishment is very colonial, right? And uh, they're very, very happy about it if you meet many of the military officers, uh, they still won't want to give it up, right? Because uh, if you go to NDA Pune, you'll have this grand hall, which is huge, right? Where all the cadets are trained, right? But that's, they also have what you call, I don't know whether they're going to have it this year, but you have the white cane ball, right? And uh, the NDA dance, right? So that's uh, on the 1st of January, right? Was nine, the 1st of January, they have a big ball for the cadets, so you have a real great 
uh, kind of a ballroom dance and they've got a huge ballroom because that's something that the Victorians had in all the, uh, the places that they had in India, right? And of course we talk about Buckingham Palace and we talk about the Viceroy's Palace. Of course the Viceroy's Palace uh, is all going to be, uh, well, a museum maybe and maybe a, a kind of a, a ruin very soon with the central vistas coming up, right? Yeah, but the idea of the Viceroy's Palace was a problem for a lot of these people who built it, right? Because they were competing in India with the Maharajas who had gold toilet bowls and gold uh, uh, basins, right? And all those kind of things, right? So uh, the Nawabs and the Maharajas all over India uh, were doing that, right? So when we talk about the Viceroy's Palace, it's uh, a brilliant thing compared to uh, Buckingham Palace, which is the Queen's Palace, right? Yeah, that's just a grey stone building, right? And of course, many people won't see it. There's nothing much to see, right? But when you look at the Viceroy's Palace uh, and uh, oh, Rashtrapati Bhavan, right? Now it's uh, Rashtrapati Bhavan, yeah? So it's a huge kind of a monument, right? Yeah? And of course, the Parliament House and all that, which is a legacy, is what you call Victorian in all its conception, right? But it's also arch architecturally a very important kind of uh, a way uh, that they are memorializing the idea of British rule, right? Yeah, which is important because uh, what they've done in England, uh, they've done over here, right? Uh, of course, you have a street, maybe you go to a place like Newton's and uh, you'll have a street uh, where all the streets are after poets, right? So you have Keats Road, Shelley Road, all those kind of things, right? All the romantics, all the, yeah, so that's something that they did. And they did that, they do that in India because history is something that's important, right? And of course, our stupid uh, people in power uh, want to change all the names of the roads, right? Yeah, and Horizon uh, Road has already been changed, right? Yeah, because we don't have a sense of history, Right? And of course, Mr. Kejriwal uh, shouldn't have done that, right? But he's a person who inculcated all these uh, kinds of reforms. And now perhaps you'll have all the roads changed, right? And the city being changed, right? Yeah. So one of the things that happens is you have the city. Uh, of course, London is a city which is an old, old city from the medieval times to the modern times and it's kept building up, right? Yeah. But the idea of uh, the city and the culture of the city and uh, all the kind of infrastructure of the city, all those things also big, uh, develop in a big manner in the Victorian age, right? And of course, we go to Dickens, who gives you the underlife of uh, uh, London, right? Yeah, in Oliver Twist, right? Yeah, so you, you're showing the poverty, yeah? You're showing the squalor, you're showing the poverty, you're showing all those kind of very interesting things that happen in every city all over the world, right? Yeah, and uh, we might like it to look, uh, so you have the tiers of the city, right? So you have one tier where it looks hunky-dory, it's beautiful and it's elaborate, right? And then you go to different levels, whether you get go to any big city like Delhi or and even Baroda, right? Yeah, you'll have uh, the underworld, you'll have crime, you'll have all those things happening, right? And Dickens uh, does something that's important, right? And I'll talk about that because this is the uh, uh, the age of realism, 
right? Yeah. So we have moved away from the romantic, right? And of course, uh, even if Northrop Fry says uh, Jane Austen lives in the romantic age, but is not a romantic, right? Yeah. Uh, I don't know whether I can say that uh, is true, right? Yeah. Uh, because the question is um, the levels, the different kinds of levels at which you operate when you talk about the romantic, right? But the Victorian age, actually, because of the industrialization, is what Hegel would call the the antithesis of the romantic age, right? Yeah. And uh, from another point of view, T.S. Eliot is very angry with the Victorian poets because the Victorian poets don't really move away from the kind of uh, uh, romantic idiom that you have in the romantic period, right? Yeah. How different are Tennyson and Coolidge? Uh, Tennyson and uh, uh, Brown, Browning, of course, very different, right? Uh, so I'll talk about the poets, right? But uh, yeah, so you have Tennyson, who's a kind of the, uh, the the greatest kind of poet in the uh, in the Victorian age, right? And uh, of course, uh, uh, he is. Uh, yeah, so you begin to wonder how really different is his idiom in uh, language, right? Yeah, and how is it idiom in poetry different, right? So you begin to wonder about that, right? So when we're talking about the Victorian age, we have a host of writers, right? And uh, a lot of the writers who we have uh, are actually realist, right? In the novel, right? But I'm I'm going to put the novel at the back because we're going to talk about realism in the novel anyway, right? But uh, yeah, so uh, what happens is you have the half natural, half artificial, even in the poetry, right? So the poetry uh, still has this touch of the Victorian age, which is half natural, half artificial, right? Yeah, so that's everywhere, right? Whether you take uh, uh, the kind of, and that's when it becomes interesting that uh, you have uh, George Knightley in uh, Jane Austen saying, well, this is natural, right? Yeah. So the natural is the tables and eating indoors is natural and outside is also what is natural, right? So if you want to enjoy nature, you go outside and enjoy the garden, right? But the garden is artificial, right? Yeah. So art, so the half natural, half artificial is something that's uh, very very important, right? Yeah, and of course uh, you have the idea of gardening. You have the idea of going into the garden. All those kind of things also happen uh, and become very important, right? Um, so of course Britain becomes very rich because of the colonies, right? And uh, Queen Victoria is one of the monarchs who travel around the world, right? And uh, that's again something that is important, right? So you get. Uh, a traveling uh, queen, right, and a widely traveled queen at that point of time, right. Today, of course, uh, you might talk about our prime minister, who's more widely traveled than anybody else, as as a head of state, right. Or maybe Bill Clinton, uh, not uh, Clinton, yeah, Clinton and Obama may be doing a better job, right. I don't know who's the best and who's traveled, or who's been a, a greater uh, globe trotter, right. Yeah. But Queen Victoria definitely was, right? Yeah. And uh, one of the things 
that is important is uh, when we're talking about the Victorian age, uh, it becomes a, a many a settled what you call English culture, right? So our tea and biscuits with the tea with milk and biscuits, right? <laughs> That's a kind of colonial hangover, right, from the Victorian age, right? And the idea of the English dinner sets and the Manchester and the Sheffield uh, cro uh, cutlery, right, and crockery, right? All those kind of things keep happening, right? So a lot of people, right, I remember something very foolish that my cousin said. She said, aren't you taking uh, a tea set uh, back when you go? I said, for what? I don't want a tea set. I've got many tea sets and I've got many dinner sets, which I don't use and they just locked up and kept they're all my parents, right? So I don't need that. And that's a kind of understanding of the Victorian age, right? Yeah, so uh, all those things are important because you had Oh, you still have, I think Professor Rajsha has uh, this King George on, all the, on the glasses, right? Uh, uh, George, oh, yeah. Uh, so that's, that's maybe one of the things that you uh, have, right? So you have all these monarchs on the glasses, right? Uh, of course, today people have uh, Princess Diana and Charles a wedding, right? So you have all the cups with Charles and Diana all around. And of course, when the, the, the marriage broke up, it's not such a great idea, right? Yeah, but the Victorian age uh, actually had this kind of glamour about it, right? At one side, right? The idea of uh, confidence, a lot of confidence uh, on the part of the British, right? And uh, of course, because of the, co uh, the colonies, a lot of money was coming in, right? And the control of the, the colonies was also at its high point, right? Yeah, so, uh, so that's something that we as colonial subjects might not like, right? Yeah, but a lot of, uh, a lot of people in my age would say, well, uh, only the British could rule India, and that even now, people say that, right? I remember one young student, when Graham Staines was, uh, and his two children were put to death, right? And we were sitting here having chai, uh, this student said, this is terrible, only the British could rule India. I said, well, how can you say that, right? Yeah. So uh, you have uh, all these kinds of understandings of British food, right? And of course, uh, the Victorian age uh, had this downside, right? So at one level, you have a lot of suppression of sexuality, right? And that's a typical kind of Victorian mindset, right? Or uh, the idea that that's the mindset of the Victorian age, not only in India, but all over the world, right? Yeah. So when you talk about the sexual revolution, and you talk about the United States, and you talk about uh, Freud, and why Freud comes in, right? We go back and say, well, it was the Victorian temperament, which uh, was all around the place, so sexual suppression became rampant all over, and even in the colonies, right? So you get that is uh, uh, the kind of thing that you have, right? Yeah, and normally, uh, when I was teaching in Ferguson, and I do, uh, do uh, Charles Dickens, right? Uh, that's his David Copperfield, right? Uh, it was interesting because I began with and a lot of students used to attend my class, but I shocked them perhaps when I gave them Larkin's poem, right? Uh, this be the verse, right? Where uh, he says, "They fuck you up, your mom and dad. They may not beat you, but they do, right? They fill you with the force they had and add some extra just for you." Right? But they were fucked up in their turns by fools in old style coats and hats who half the time were soppy stern 
and half at one another's throats, right? And it goes on, man hands on misery to man. It deepens like a coastal shelf. Get out as early as you can and don't have any kids yourself, right? Yep. So that's uh, something else that you might like to look at, right? Yep. So when we're talking about the idea of the Victorian age, right? We're actually talking about the idea of a very strict father figure in the family, right? Yeah, with all the excesses of money, uh, you have a lot of very important documents saying that women should be in the house, right? Yeah, the angel in the house, and that's where uh, Virginia Woolf takes it on and talks about women, uh, a woman being the angel in the house, and uh, the idea of of a woman who's a feminist reacting to that, right? So that's one. The fathers and the father figure and the, the whole idea, uh, the father becomes almost a hated kind of creature, right, in most Victorian households, right? And uh, the best example is uh, Edwin Bolton Barrett, who was uh, the father of Elizabeth Barrett Brown, right? Yeah. And he was in this kind of domineering Victorian father, right? And one of his daughters eloped and got married because she was a dance-loving daughter, right? Yeah. So you have that kind of thing happening. And of course, in spite of Elizabeth Barrett Browning almost on, almost on a deathbed, right? And when Robert Browning goes to visit her, right? And he's a young man who's 10 years younger than her, right? And they fall in love, right? And there's a, a very interesting essay called The Immortal Romance, right? Yeah. So actually, uh, what, it, what happens is, uh, in spite of her being so old, right, or and maybe she would never get married, right, yeah, uh, if Browning had not fall in love with her, proposed to her, and uh, in spite of the age and all those kind of age differences, right, uh, she climbed, she has to climb out of the window, right, and the dog Pip, uh, Pip, I think it's Pip, right, is taken down the street, right, and uh, that's how they escape, right? So that's uh, the famous Barrett's of Wimpole Street, right? Because that's the place they stay, right? And uh, yeah, so you you have uh, this kind of understanding also coming up, right? That you have the very strong kind of patriarchy and patriarchal values being enforced uh, on women, right? And then of course, you have a lot of people who are talking about the subversive kind of activities that's in homosexual, uh, homosexuality, lesbianism, and the, uh, you have the underground kind of uh, escapes into all these sexual systems, right? Yeah? So, uh, uh, so you have Oscar Wilde and Andre Geet, that's one, right? And that's, of course, in a colony like Algiers, right? Where uh, uh, Oscar Wilde offers Andre Geet the boy, right? And Andre Gee, who's a properly married man, suddenly finds that he's homosexual, right? Yeah. So uh, these are things that uh, we uh, know. Or you have Ian Foster, right, who writes The Passage to India, right? And um, uh, you find that there's a lot of uh, homosexual or homoeroticism that's take, taking place over there, right? Yeah. And of course, uh, uh, there is uh, Queen Victoria. Uh, a book by an eminent Victorians, right, uh, by Lytton Strachey, right, and Lytton Strachey is great uh, because he writes against 
uh, against the Victorians and he uh, exposes them, right? So you might like to have uh, a look at that, right? Yeah. So he's talking about hypocrisy in the Victorian age, right? So that's uh, another, and of course, Little Strachey was gay, uh, we all know that, and he was also the lover of uh, John Milton Keynes, right? He was a great economist, right? Or the greatest economist uh, in the 20th century, right? Yeah, so that's of course later, right? So, the, so you have Marx, no, you have Adam Smith, you have Marx, and then you have Keynes, right? And all the three of them are English, right? Uh, who are economists uh, first, right? Uh, yeah, so that's important. And the Keynesian system is, uh, you, as you already know, is used for putting an economy that is out of gear back to normal, right? And of course, uh, you have uh, a prime minister, uh, no, uh, a president of the United States, that's Franklin E. Roosevelt, who actually puts Keynes' economic system, uses the Keynesian uh, uh, economic system to uh, rev up the, the fading uh, uh, American system in 1935. That's in the 20th century, right? But we're going back to the 19th, right? And uh, all these people are Victorians, right? And actually the Victorian in the mindset, and for many people, Many people still think that, uh, that the mentality of the, the English today is still Victorian, right? The whole idea of colonial mentality, the looking down on the black people and the brown people and all those kind of things, right? Though, of course, they changed and they've changed very much, okay? Uh, because that's the, the way their system operates, right? We get stuck. We're still stuck, right? With old kind of systems, right? But they have moved on, right? And uh, they're different, right? Whether it's talking about language or talking about uh, culture, right? Of course, we also have the idea of the Victorian sentence. The sentence that I read, the first sentence that I read from uh, A Tale of Two Cities, right? Is a long Victorian sentence, right? Yeah. And uh, many people, uh, till about 25 years ago, love, not Indians, right? People from uh, the UK love to read the Indian newspapers because they would find this long Victorian sentence in it, right? Yeah, so the Victorian sentence is what you call a concatenation of clauses, right? Yeah, so you have one clause and another clause and another clause and that means you have control of the language, right? So that's something that when people come to me and ask me how do I improve my English? Please read all the Victorian novels. That's what I tell them, right? Because by the time you read all the Victorian novels, you'll actually learn how sentences are written and the control of the language comes in because you're dealing with a lot of material in one sentence, right? And of course, I also have a, 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 a flashback to my Parton days when we had Mr. Brahmabhatt, who was a Sanskrit uh, lecturer, right? who had already retired, but he was trained in St. Xavier's Bombay, and we used to call him Pambalchuk, which is a character that's a, a, a very mean of us, of course. Uh, we, we call him Pambalchuk, who is a character from Dickens' novels, right? So Dickens can't be left out. And what's interesting about 
this man is, he would actually, uh, when he spoke, he would give you the Victorian sentence uh, almost verbatim, right? Yeah, he would give you every full stop. You could actually read the full stop and comma. And he was a Sanskrit person. He had done his uh, BA and MA, I think, from Bombay, right? Uh, in the in the Victorian days, maybe, right? Oh, yeah. So just uh, yeah. So he he died when we were there. He was already very old, but uh, it was great to see such a person, right? And of course, he was dressed in Victorian. Uh, the idea of uh, the Victorian teacher, right? Yeah, that is uh, with a coat and tie. I should always find that so uh, so strange because I should go with my t-shirts because I couldn't put up with the heat, right? And this uh, gentleman used to always come with his coat and tie and uh, his suit, right? He used to come to work in suit, right? So, yeah, so that's something else that happens, right? So the idea of the coat and tie and suit become important for all the men, right? And of course in India, the women, the formal dress is still the sari, right? Uh, even in Victorian times, right? Uh, Cyril, can I call you up a little later? Hi, hi. Uh, sorry, who is this? Uh, your number is not saved on this phone. Uh, I'm Rajan. I'm Rajan. Yeah. Rajan. Yeah, who, who am I speaking to? Uh, this is Nitin. Pardon? Yes. I can't hear you. Yeah. Can I hear Nikita? Nikita. Okay. Uh, yeah. yeah. Tell him I'll call him in the evening because I'm in class. Okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. And I forgot Thanks. to wish him yesterday. Yeah. Right. Yeah, 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 right. right. Fine, thank you. Sorry, uh, I had to take the phone call, right? Yeah, because it's one of the people who I'm working on. Uh, he's 80 years today, and he's he, he's written a num number of plays, right? And uh, he's put them up, right? And I should act in his group uh, once upon a time when I was a college student, right? Yeah, fine. Okay, uh, uh, What's interesting and what's important when we're talking about the Victorian age is we're talking about all these kinds of different facets, right? And uh, the idea that a lot of establishmental stuff takes place, right? So we're talking about how do you establish yourself, right? Yeah, we're talking about the coat and tie becoming uh, almost universal in the colonies, right? Yeah, uh, which... Uh, of course, I don't like, right? Uh, I, as a modern Indian, uh, I don't like that. And I normally wear kurtas wherever I can, right? Yeah. Uh, official functions. I go in a kurta and everybody gets very upset with that, right? Yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, in spite of people uh, for weddings dressing in suits and ties, I don't do that because I, uh, I don't believe in that kind of identity problem. Right? Yeah, I don't have those identity problems. Maybe I have much worse ones, right? Yeah. So, uh, so when we're talking about uh, the idea of the dress, right? Uh, the idea of formal dress, the idea of uh, formal, and of course I must go back to Dickens and talk about something that happens in Dickens's David Copperfield, right? Where uh, you're talking about this woman. Betsy Trotswood, who's a kind of a modern feminist in many ways, right? And she's a modern feminist because she packs off her husband, right? She's the aunt, actually she's the, the grand aunt of David, 
right? And she adopts him and looks after him, right? Yeah, and uh, yeah, so uh, yeah, so she's one of the important creatures, one of the important characters which Dickens creates, right? Uh, besides Mrs. Havisham and all of those, Pamela Chukin, all those other uh, people that you have with Dickens, right? But yeah, somebody has given me Dombey and Son, uh, Son, Dombey and Son, and I'm going to read it. It's a huge book, but I'm going to read it because I want to read a little more Dickens, right? Yeah. Uh, so uh, when I was reading David Copperfield again, right? Uh, of course, my mother read it out to me when I was a child, uh, when I couldn't read, right? But, uh, and then I, I started reading all the other things like The Christmas Carol and, uh, yeah, and Great Expectations was a series on uh, the BBC television when uh, the, yeah, it just, uh, the idea of uh, multi-channel television had just started in India, right? Yeah, so you had this BBC, oh, was it Doodarshan still? I don't remember, right? Yeah, maybe it was Doodarshan and you had the BBC series uh, yes, Prime Minister, and uh, you also had uh, uh, great expectations, right? Yeah, so you have uh, that serialized, right? Now, uh, yeah, what's interesting and what's important is uh, we might not like it, and I don't like it definitely, right? Because when we're talking about fiction, right, we're talking about all these people who get into the culture, right? Yeah, so like we're talking about Jane Austen and the people in India who are reading Jane Austen, right? Yeah, and of course, you have all these people. Now, Jane Austen is 200 years old, right? Uh, and is still quite interesting to read, right? And it's still uh, a part of the culture because uh, your literature gets into your culture, right? So that's one of the things that is important. And the continuity of culture, in spite of change, right, happens because of literature, right? And when one reads literature, one is actually uh, having a critique of culture and is also uh, very immersed in the culture, right? So these are things that I think are important, right? And uh, that's why uh, once upon a time, uh, and this is Professor Daswani, who was the head of uh, Pune University uh, before I joined, and he came and gave us a lecture once, and he's an ELT person, right? And uh, He's very much into culture studies. I, I hope he's alive, right? Yeah. And uh, uh, he gave a very interesting lecture where he was talking about how an English teacher was looked at when he finished and came back from wherever he went, right? To Cambridge also, wherever he went, right? Yeah. So when he came back to India, uh, the first job was in UP in a village, right? And he went with this three-piece suit and his tie and there was nowhere where uh, so a, a kind of a, a makeshift toilet and uh, he had to actually pump water from a tap right and that's where uh, he had his first job right uh, so he was talking about how an English teacher would be asked about culture right and people thought that English teachers would know everything about culture including which wine to drink at what occasion with what meat, right? Yeah, and how is a five-course dinner served, right? Now, I said, well, I wouldn't know that and I don't even want to, right? Because I don't care anymore to whether I know about culture or not, right? But many people actually still think that an English teacher 
is supposed to know about culture, right? So you might like to think about that. And the idea is that English teachers were supposed to be well-read and well-schooled uh, uh, well in the idea of culture. And they would study literature and they would also get the idea of culture, right? Yeah. So you get many people who think that you are actually uh, very well-read about everything, right? And actually that was my approach when I shifted to the English department, right? And uh, one of the things that happened to me, yeah, I'll finish in a while, yeah, was uh, I met this friend from the English department, I was a math student, and we were sitting and having lunch um, at the refectory in Pune University, and Pune University was not crowded, there are hardly any students over there, because it was only a postgraduate kind of university. Uh, so I was sitting and talking to him, and I asked him first about Russell, I asked him about a very important Victorian, whom I'm going to talk about, this Lewis Carroll, right, yeah, and uh, I had all those kind of conversations, and he was getting irritated with me, right, and of course now he's a friend of mine, right, but at that point of time, I think he, he got very, very upset, right, because, uh, yeah, since I've talked about Lewis Carroll, Lewis Carroll is praised by Queen Victoria for his uh, book Alice in Wonderland, right, yeah, and uh, she says that you must give me the next book that you write, right? And you know what Lewis Carroll does? If you look at the complete works of Lewis Carroll, right, uh, you'll find that he has a set of uh, logical propositions, right? And a very, very humorous ones. And you just look at it and try to solve it, right? So I went back because I'm a math student and I tried to solve all those, all those kinds of uh, statements you make and how do you arrive at the conclusion, right? Yeah, it's uh, something that you do in logic, right? Uh, mathematical logic and uh, Lewis Carroll was a logician, right? Yeah, I think I have to stop because it's time and I will continue a bit more about the Victorian age, right? And I'm going to send you an iPod uh, after I write uh, a bit on um, Emma, right? And perhaps I'll just read it out and I'll send a podcast to all of you. I'm sorry for uh, delay, yeah? Uh, thank you. Right? Yeah.